When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who lives in a whirlwind of chaos, but wouldn't have it any other way. And I'm Vravada, the girl... Wow, my kid typed this, sorry. (laughs) The girl who would like a little bit less chaos, please and thank you. We just need the right kind of chaos. And if you're new here, welcome to the beautiful chaos. But you should know that our podcast centers around character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of fucking. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two characters using specific in-game dialogue. So if you want to stay spoiler-free, then this isn't the podcast for you. So here's your fucking spoiler alert. Thank you, N7, for being here on every single episode. We appreciate you. And just like with all of our previous episodes, we assume that you have some background knowledge of the game and character in question, but we'll be providing context for those of you who may be unfamiliar. In today's episode, we'll be doing the boys a favor with all our manual labor, because it's good to be a good, good neighbor. That's right. We'll be going ghoul today for Good Neighbors Mayor, John Hancock. And we'll also be talking about Robert Joseph R.J. McCready, the guy in Fallout with the most names and former mayor of Little Lamplight, and former member of the Gunners. He's got a resume. We'll be starting with John, Mr. Vice Guy Hancock. It's just real rare these days. Find someone who's not willing to take things the way they're handed to them. Too many good folks not willing to get their hands dirty. And too many assholes taking advantage of it. I, wow, I just had an extremely dirty thought about taking advantage of assholes. (laughs) It's only accurate for Hancock. Yeah. I am feral for this ghoul. Hmm. John Hancock was actually born John McDonough and is the estranged younger brother of the Diamond City's Mayor McDonough, who we talked about last week. I guess politics run in the family, but other than the same job, these two brothers have nothing in common. They seem to have been born estranged as well. 
Hancock considered his older brothers entitled and said that when they were young, he would shove rotten potatoes down the back of his shirt and slap them. Ew. Yeah, honestly. Hancock is a notorious chem addict and alcoholic, albeit functional and good-natured. If you hadn't noticed by his voice or his face, he's a ghoul, otherwise known as humans who have been changed by intense exposure to radiation. It's almost like becoming a Marvel superhero, except you look like the survivor of horrific burns and live ten times a normal lifespan. While most ghouls were created when the bombs fell or from accidental radiation exposure, Hancock is notable in that his ghouldom was self-inflicted when he took an experimental drug in his endless chase for the perfect high. He got it, but he also got ghouled. Hancock and his brother still had some semblance of a relationship up until the elder McDonough ran for mayor of Diamond City in 2282 on an anti-ghoul platform, fanning the flames of fear and hatred for the mutated inhabitants of the city. When he was elected, Hancock confronted his brother in his office after his inauguration speech, but his brother would not apologize for the anti-ghoul violence his platform had created. He just boasted that the city was finally his. It's exactly the kind of person we want in office, right? Self-serving and bigoted. Yay! That tracks. And that's how Hancock and his fellow Diamond City ghouls made their way to the nearby settlement of Good Neighbor. At the time, Good Neighbor was run by a ruthless mob boss named Vic, and the settlement was not very hospitable to people just looking for a fresh start. Most of the refugees from Diamond City ended up wandering the ruins of Boston, eventually dying of starvation or some random violence, because, you know, that's everywhere. Hancock didn't take this very well and fell into depression, turned to drug abuse, and at one point, like we said, took an experimental drug with some irreversible consequences known as becoming a ghoul. He maintains that the high was totally worth it. The darkest day for Hancock was when he witnessed a fellow drifter be murdered by some of Vic's henchmen. He knew that there was nothing he could have done to save the drifter, but he still blamed himself and thought himself a coward. He said in the aftermath that he felt like he was less than nothing. He went particularly hard on his drug and alcohol binge that night and blacked out. When he woke up, he found himself on the floor of the old state house in the front of founding father John Hancock's clothes. John McDonough was gone, and the new John Hancock was born. He borrowed some weapons from Cleo, went sober for a time, and assembled a hodgepodge force of other drifters angry at the state of Good Neighbor. He planned a revolution. They took Vic's gang by surprise one night as they were deep in their cups and massacred them. Yay! As an added bonus, they stormed Vic's quarters in the state house, dragged him out to the balcony, and Hancock makes his speech and hung him. What a statement. 10 out of 10 political coup. As he looked down on the gathered citizens of Good Neighbor, he said his favorite quote, Of the people, for the people. He's been mayor ever since. He's sitting pretty as mayor when you, the sole survivor, first meet him at the gates of Good Neighbor. He's not above doling out some street justice when people are being taken advantage of. He's an anti-hero. He's basically Deadpool, but without the trademark quips of Ryan Reynolds. 
It's definitely got a similar face. <laughs> He's got his own catchphrases, though. Just listen to this badass establishing character moment. First time in Good Neighbor? You can't go walking around without insurance. Unless it's keep dumb assholes away from me insurance, I'm not interested. Now don't be like that. I think you're gonna like what I have on offer. You hand over everything you got in their pockets, or accidents start happening to you. Big, bloody accidents. Someone steps through the gate the first time, they're a guest. You lay off that extortion crap. She ain't one of them. No love for your mayor, Finn. I said let her go. Come on, man. This is me we're talking about. Let me tell you something. Now, why'd you have to go and say that, huh? Breaking my heart over here. You all right, sister? Your face. Something happened? Like it? I think it gives me a sexy King of the Zombies kind of look. Big hit with the ladies. I'm a ghoul, you see? A lot of walking rad freaks like me around here. So you might want to keep those kinds of questions on the low burner next time. Good neighbors of the people, for the people. You feel me? Everyone's welcome. His voice. I swear, there's something about that rasp. I... I feel you. Got a thing for voices. Yeah, I don't think I have a type, but I definitely have a preference for what you sound like. Yeah, me too. And getting back to Hancock and Naughty Naughty Thoughts, uh, he is definitely the king of good neighbor. And like any king, he is prone to be complacent from living the good life. After you complete the mission, The Big Dig, where you help Bobby No-Nos try to steal from Hancock, he realizes that he's become too pampered, and that's when he can be your newest traveling companion. I actually really like what he says in his speech here to the people of Good Neighbor when he's about to go off with you. He says, no one in power should be comfortable for too long. We've heard this idea a lot from the Iron Throne and Game of Thrones literally being made of swords, thus cutting you if you get too comfy, to the late Queen Elizabeth saying the crown weighs so much that if you look down to read your speech rather than lifting your cards up to your face, it would snap your neck. It's true, though. Comfort breeds complacency. Complacency allows errors, lapses in judgment, and abuse of power, which will probably end with you being forcibly removed. Just see all of history for examples of that. Like, every single time. Every time. Yeah. Hancock himself is great at holding himself accountable, to the point where he often places the blame on himself, even for the things he could not control. But... After his metamorphosis into his current ghoul self, he has vowed to never be a bystander again. And he lives up to that. His personal mantra is essentially, be good to the innocent and merciless to the guilty. He's also atoning for his past sins, and for the sins of his brother, Mayor McDonough. He even heard rumors that his brother was replaced by a synth. I guess they get the public occurrences in Good Neighbor. While he used to think it was a load of shit, he's recently been doubting. I think I buy it. I've seen him since then, and there's no way they copied him that perfectly. Even got his tight-ass walk. <laughs> That's why I love Hancock. He's got some of the best dialogue in the game. If you haven't gathered yet, Hancock's who I romanced in Fallout 4, but only because 
Nick Valentine can't be romanced. I'm still not over that. Never. Just like with all the other Fallout 4 romances, you just have to get the affinity up high enough to romance Hancock. Hancock, this actually annoys me, Hancock is considered an optional companion, so he can die. And while he's involved in a few quests, none are actually essential to his romance, apart from the acquisition quest, The Big Dig. Hancock is a delicious blend of chaos and morals. He likes it when you take chems and walk around naked, but he hates it if you kill nonviolent NPCs or steal. He really is the epitome of chaotic good. I know I run my mouth, but having someone who sees the world for what it is and is willing to do something about it, it's meant a lot to me. I feel damn lucky to have you as a friend. And that's what we are? Friends? Well, now that you mention it, I have been having slightly more impure thoughts than usual. Maybe we'll get to uh, act on those. (laughs) Yes. Yes, we will. And here we get to the yummy stuff. I want to read an excerpt from an article V found called The Fallout 4 Character Who Broke My Heart by Kate Gray on Kotaku. It reads, They were all so judgmental. Piper, the reporter, hated drugs, murder, and violence. Curie, the floating spear woman bot, was constantly pressing me to do sciency things and looked down on stealing and threats. Preston, one of the first companions you get, disliked cannibalism. I mean, come on, guys. This is Fallout. You can't just expect me to go around bombed-out Boston being nice to and or not eating everyone. Then, I'd met John Hancock. Talk about broken boys. Hancock's face looked like the result of putting peeps in the microwave. At first glance, I was a little creeped out by the lack of his nose, lips, and skin, but it wasn't long before I wanted to find out if he still had a tongue. If you know what I mean. (laughs) I can't believe I read all of that with a straight face. I need props after (laughs) that one. (laughs) First of all, peeps in the microwave sent me when I first read that. I was like, no, it's a, it's a good joke, but you didn't have to go there. Uh, you want another Hancock joke? Yeah. Hancock didn't think he could hurt himself masturbating, but he pulled it off. Oh, no. Well, that ruins all of my plans. <laughs> Maybe he can reattach it. <laughs> like a Lego? <laughs> <laughs> the Lego boyfriend gets brought up once again. I'll never let him go. Never let you go, Jack. And Yeah, I agree. I think that everybody is really nice and sweet, and sometimes you want that chaos run. I mean, that's why I think I I was attracted to Gage when we were talking about him, because I was like, I need a little bit more of a bad boy. And I feel like Hancock would definitely, no pun, fill that slot for me. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. I do know. I do know what she means about wanting to find out if he still had a tongue. I mean, he's just so damn charismatic and exactly what you'd expect someone in the wasteland to be. Ghoul or no ghoul, he's as good as he should be and as bad as he needs to be to survive. So once you've gotten his affinity up as high as it goes, you can get that sweet, sweet romance dialogue. 
Let's listen to our sexy ghoul be vulnerable for a minute. Ugh, the recipe for my love. Being out here with you, it's made me realize most of my life to this point, I've been running out on the good things I got. I skipped out on my family, my life in Diamond City, took up with you just to get out a good neighbor. Hell, running from myself is what made me into, into a damn ghoul. But being here with you for the first time in my life, things have just felt right. And running is the furthest thing from my mind. I mean, I left Good Neighbor thinking I was gonna just sharpen up the old killer instinct. But whether it's fate or destiny or just goddamn coincidence, I ended up with someone like you. If I hadn't taken up with you, I'd probably be in a gutter somewhere, getting gnawed on by rad roaches. You have been one hell of a friend. Have you ever thought about us as maybe more than just friends? <laughs> Is that obvious? Come on, you don't want to wake up to this mug every morning. Never wish that on anyone I cared for. Who I fall for is my decision. And I've fallen for you. Wouldn't expect that kind of lapse in judgment from you. But I guess that works out for me then, doesn't it? <laughs> Moments like this, I know all that karma stuff is bull. Because no one like me should be this lucky. Come on, love. Let's get this freak show on the road. You love. Mm. That's what sealed the deal, man. Oh, so good. I am a sucker for a pet name. Like, as soon as I hear one of those, I am like, I'm in. I'm done. I'm yours. And really, when it comes down to it, my only rule regarding sex is that it be done well. And I feel like Hancock can definitely get it done well. I mean, as long as I still have enough biological parts to work with, I think that you could still have fun. I do see that that could possibly be an issue for like long-term sexual compatibility. I don't know how much more is going to fall off of him. He doesn't have the skin. He doesn't have the nose. It could be an issue. And they say love is blind, but they never say whether it has a sense of smell. Having a romantic relationship with an irradiated ghoul would be complicated. But, admittedly, his good nature and passion for defending the innocent make him an honorable guy. And he can hold his own in a fight. Any physical touch, though, would require a rat X or two. And possibly a lead-lined condom. That's the biggest downfall, is that he's so irradiated. How are you supposed to do stuff? But anyway, as apart from the physicality bits, I have lots to say about the actual romance that's there because I really feel like it's a good one. It's a good one. I think what's funny is Hancock is one of those characters. It's like the Casanova. Everyone propositions him when you go into any settlement. Does not matter that he's a ghoul. I have a thought that it's due to his confidence. Like, it doesn't really matter what he looks like because he's so confident and that's sexy. And another part of Hancock that I really like is that he's good, but that doesn't mean that he's nice or soft, which is what you need in a world like the Commonwealth in post-apocalyptic America. He will take care of you, but he also knows that you can take care of yourself. 
is not another one of these like you complete me thing. Hancock has trauma. He's a broken boy. But you don't fix him. Your companionship makes him realize on his own that he is worth, you know, sticking around and doing stuff because he you make him a better person, not a whole person. That's there's a big difference there. When he says that he realizes that he was doing some small town stuff with Good Neighbor when he saw what you as the sole survivor were trying to do. So he realigned his goals. He made it bigger. So you help him to realize his full potential, which is what you want in a partner. He also has that sexy, gruff voice that is amazing. And he is definitely monogamous. He's faithful to you because there's times when he's your companion and you're in a settlement and they proposition him for if there's a tour of the town, as they call it, he'll say he's, quote, no longer a wandering ghoul because the one I got ain't someone you go wandering on. Which is so cute. It's so cute. Ugh, I really like him. Plus, I really have a strong affinity for that kind of character who is protector of the innocent and merciless to the guilty. He doesn't let people take advantage of people. And I, with my strong sense of justice, I really feel like that is such a great trait. So 10 out of 10, love Hancock forever. Agree. I hopefully could love him forever because he's a ghoul. Maybe I would need to become a ghoul. I don't know. I have a skincare routine, so I'm not sure if I'm willing to commit like that. Mm. Well, maybe if you keep your skincare routine up, then you don't get like the full effects. It'd be worth it. Go ghoul. It would be. Go ghoul. All right. Now it's time for a quick mid-break so you can hear from our sponsors. We can thank our patrons and do a bit of housekeeping. Here's a fun fact that I found. If you go up to the upper floor of the memory den, you can read an entry on Irma's terminal that states, quote, Well, let's just say if you thought he was handsome and dangerous now, you should have seen him before he turned ghoul. I bet that's the start of many a fanfic. Obviously, this is about Hancock. I don't even care what he looked like before. I love him now. That's called the female gaze, everyone. Okay, he is enough. Also, his personal favorite chems are mentats because they make him feel, quote, intellectual. And he actually has the second highest special intelligence score of all the companions at a respectable 14. I don't even know if he needs the mentats. Or maybe it's a result of chronic mentat use. I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Permanent, constant drug use can definitely have permanent alterations to your mind. Or your entire body. <laughs> Don't do that. Also, I bet you that sexy Hancock mod would have is what he looks like before he became cool. I feel like no, because I looked it up and it's like a it's still a ghoul for at least the one I saw as sexy Hancock mod was still a ghoul and his like eyes glowed. It was, it was not, I didn't like it. It wasn't for me. I'll have to look at that later. Um, So our second character for tonight is going to be McCready. And uh, I found out that McCready will comment on how he misses galaxy news radio with three dog and the downtown DC monuments from the Capitol wasteland. He is also an avid fan of Gronak the Barbarian comics, 
And as of 2287, he is only missing the issue where Mastodonal and Skullopocalypse... Nope, I don't think I can do that word. Skullpocalypse. Team up to fight Globesnack. It is nice to see a kick-ass nerd, even if I can't pronounce the words in your fandom, bro. It's all good. We don't have any new reviews to read out this week, but of course we have to thank and shout out and shower with love and affection and just the everythings to our amazing patrons. Toasty, my beast, Apollo, Shanko, Mystheos, Luke, Win, and Bat Knight. Very much appreciated. And one more thing, Meiji is back. Meiji Moose will be joining us at the end of the month for the Patreon chat. He is back on our Patreon. So thank you, Meiji Moose. Something kind of big happened. So Tom, who has taken on more of his own shows, didn't really have the time to make the cyberpunk lore cast as good as it was. So he was like, hey, Toasty, you love cyberpunk. So Tom handed Toasty the podcast and was like, I need a co-host. And my beast mode text me, you want to do a podcast? So we are now the new hosts of the Cyberpunk Lorecast. It will be a weekly show that uh, we record on Thursday nights. Uh, so yeah, go follow us now on twitch.tv slash cyberpunklorecast and check us out on all of the platforms. We're up on Spotify, iTunes, Apple, everywhere that you can find the girls, you can find the cyberpunks. These two girls have a huge announcement to make. So we've talked about it a few times, but I'm a native Portlandian. And Portland has a few gaming and comic cons that happen every year. The Portland Retro Gaming Con is happening October 14th through the 16th of 2022. And we are honored and so flippin' excited to say that for the first time ever, Vervada and Genesis get to meet in real life to host a panel about video game romances. I am so excited. We are hard at work to highlight the history behind where we are today in gaming lovers. So, if you are able to travel to Portland, Oregon in mid-October, we would absolutely love to meet you. Okay, now it is time to get into McCready, our next topic for the day. Are we getting into him or is he getting into us? Sorry, that was bad. Depends, I guess, on if you're playing Nate or Nora or how you're playing Nate and Nora. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go for it. Let's see if we can survive the wasteland. I'm completely self-taught, you know. Picked up a sniper rifle when I was 10 and never looked back. I always thought it was smarter to hit my targets at long range. I mean, why take chances, right? Besides, I had to come up with every trick in the book to survive the capital wasteland. Robert Joseph R.J. McCready was born in the capital wasteland, the wastes surrounding Washington, D.C. 
to the parents that quickly disappeared from his life. He grew up in Little Lamplight, a children's only colony that you can visit in your travels in Fallout 3. You can even meet McCready, who is the mayor of Little Lamplight in 2274. When a child turned 16, they had to leave Little Lamplight. And so when McCready left, he became a gun for hire and wandered the wastes looking for caps. Over time, he met a woman named Lucy, and they became lovers and mercenaries together. McCready will spin you quite the yarn about their young love and their travels. They got married and eventually had a son, Duncan, which if you do the math, he's technically a teenage parent. But uh, they had a period of time that was lovely by all accounts. There aren't many happy endings in post-war America, though, so of course Lucy was brutally murdered by a pack of feral ghouls at a metro station. You know, where feral ghouls are always at. Everywhere. Especially in the Capital Wasteland. Right in front of Duncan and McCready, too. So, yay, trauma. He vowed to never swear again, randomly, and built a homestead for him and his son to start over. I really don't know why swearing, like not swearing, makes McCready a better dad or bring his wife back somehow, but I guess whatever floats his boat. Maybe his wife didn't like swearing, so in order to honor her in some way, he quit? I don't know. But to add insult to injury, Duncan falls ill with some strange sickness. He was exposed to something in their homestead's fields, and the next day had a fever with blue boils all over his body. Yuck. McCready decided to leave Duncan behind to go off and find a cure apparently entrusting the care of his severely ill son to his, quote, friends. No one had apparently ever heard of this disease, but he was going to try. That's why he's in the Commonwealth. There might be a cure there, given so many medical laboratories exist in the Boston area. However, he needed some caps to survive, so he joined the Gunners. So he became a sharpshooter for the Gunners, and the caps were plentiful. However, the Gunners aren't known for their morals, and McCready's personal code and promise he made to his son to be a better person made him cut ties with them in the summer of 2287. He resumed his prior career as a freelance gun for hire, looking to complete his mission of finding a cure. It just so happens that he meets Sinclair, a man who is also looking for a cure for the mysterious blue boils. He tells McCready that MedTech Laboratories was experimenting with a universal cure. And Sinclair needs a partner to go get it. McCready will tell you that Sinclair gave him the door codes because he no longer needed them, as his partner with Boyles had died. McCready tried to break in on his own, but the overwhelming presence of feral ghouls forced him to quit. So he has apparently been waiting for the perfect partner to come along to help him get the cure, and has set up shop in Good Neighbor in the meantime. There were two gunners who did not like McCready, a former gunner in their territory, Winlock and Barnes. McCready tells you that they have hounded him for months, driving off his customers, and others have avoided him due to his former affiliation with the gunners. Basically, McCready was victimized and hopeless, with only Daisy, the old ghoul merchant, as a friend. Until the sole survivor shows up, and McCready's hope returns. Yay. Once again, you're the solution to everybody's problems. You turn up at quite the opportune time for McCready, too. 
Winlock and Barnes confront McCready and tell him he can either stop doing business in the Commonwealth or else. He can't pay them off because they'll just kill him anyway with the, quote, small army of gunners out there. He can't run because they'll just find him, apparently. And he obviously can't kill them alone. But then you show up and McCready starts to form a plan. This mission is called Long Road Ahead, and it is the one mission that is required in order to romance him. If you don't finish this quest, which will have you take care of the gunners and get the universal cure for medtech, his affinity will cap far below the amount necessary to romance him. It's important to note that you hire McCready as a companion. He doesn't come along willingly like anyone else because you're intriguing or you're cool. You hire him as a merc. And yet he refers to you as if you're a partner, as if he hired you to take out Winlock and Barnes and help him get the universal cure. He also only mentions his child and the cure after the gunners are dealt with, which seems like he pre-planned this. Yeah, stop listening if you are like super enraptured with McCready because we're going to criticize him a bit. Because McCready is sus AF. Like, he leaves behind his gravely ill child at this point for months. There is no way to know if his kid's still alive. But he's still dicking around looking for a cure. He gets a job and, like, just works for the gunners for a while. That's what I mean by dicking around. Like, he's not really that focused, it seems like. Then he meets you, supposedly, in a crazy random happenstance. And you hire him, and then he gives you a job? And then when that's out of the way, that being the gunners, he then tells you how good it is to have someone he can trust in this sob story about Duncan and Lucy. Either McCready sure has a shit ton of bad luck, or he made that up, and he's trying to steal the universal cure for some unknown buyer. Seems more likely as a freelance mercenary. Look, I know I tend to be a pain in the ass... I mean... I know I tend to be arrogant and I come off like I want to be alone. Nothing could be further from the truth. Being alone scares the heck out of me. Now that we've been traveling together for a while, I'm beginning to realize how much I missed having someone I could depend on. I just wanted you to know that I'm going to do everything I can to see that it stays this way. It's interesting, because once you get the cure, he hands it off to Daisy, a traitor and good neighbor to take to his son. He doesn't just go himself, which, to be honest, is a huge red flag. I don't see how he wouldn't want to see the cure work for himself. I know if I was handed a cure for my child's disease, I would take it there personally. Also, if you needed to get an extremely rare and important item from the Commonwealth to the Capital Wasteland, you probably wouldn't hire Daisy. While she's probably the oldest trader in the Commonwealth, the center of the trade in the area is Bunker Hill, not Good Neighbor. Good Neighbor is where you'd entrust a stolen item to be sold on the black market for a large sum, or potentially to a client that works for the Institute. I can see why they would be very interested in something like a universal cure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All of this is, of course, conjecture, because Bethesda didn't deign to add some continuity between Fallout 3 and Fallout 4. So there's a lot of timeline that's just simply empty or has completely conflicting data. McCready himself never actually describes Duncan or Lucy, 
other than Lucy's horrific death and Duncan's blue boils. But we do know for sure that at least Lucy existed because Vadim, the bar owner in Diamond City, will ask after her if McCready is your companion. McCready, interestingly, will say she didn't make it, which the way he said it and like the way he talked about her kind of sounds a lot more like describing the death of a sister in arms rather than a beloved wife. Perhaps Lucy was in on the scheme to get the universal care too, but the medtech ghouls killed her there instead of back in the capital wasteland. I mean, one thing's for sure, we'll never really know. Yeah, and like we said, it's all one interpretation of the way to read into his conversations with you. If you take him at his word, though, it's not that different of a backstory to your own. And you can connect with him on that level. Your spouse was brutally murdered in front of you, and the status of your own son is currently unknown. But you have hope to save him. McCready, like Hancock, is a lovable rogue who, despite his willingness to commit crimes, is actually a good dude. It's not that realistic to have all of your companions be idealists like Preston or Dance, or just solid good people like Curie. Most are like Kate, or Cancock, or McCready. Good, but not squeaky clean good. And here we are, end of the road for Fallout 4. You can raise McCready's affinity by stealing, asking for more money for jobs, choosing sarcastic dialogue options, and being nice to children and ghouls. He kind of has a thing for ghouls, because he likes to flirt or watch you flirt with a number of them in the Commonwealth. They're all like Hancock, I understand. Once you've gotten the universal cure and raised McCready's affinity to the highest level, the romance culmination dialogue will happen. Just like with all the romances in Fallout 4, they pack a lot into a short conversation. Damn, I miss Lucy. No matter how bad things got, she was always there with a shoulder to lean on. It gave me... Well, it, it gave me the courage I needed to press ahead. To never give up. When she died, I thought that feeling was gone forever. Then I met you. You have the world's problems in your back, and here you are helping me with mine. Lending me your shoulder like Lucy did. I just want you to know how much your friendship means to me. I was hoping what we have together could be... More than friendship. I, I... I don't know. I mean, I, I never thought of us that way. What about your husband? I know he's gone, but you still love him, don't you? Would it bother you if I still love him? I don't know. I mean, we're two sides of the same coin, right? It's true. I miss Lucy to death. But at some point we have to move on, don't you think? That's the past. You are all that matters to me now. I... I don't know what to say. I know I was taking a chance dumping all my feelings on the table. But now that I know how you really feel about me, it was definitely worth the risk. For once in my life, everything's going right, and I have you to thank for it. I don't think anyone in the world could ask for a greater gift than that. Thank you. No, and listening to that audio clip again, I could see... I think Lucy's real, you know? I think that they did love each other. Like, you hold on to that. As for the kid, if they are real, that I don't know. Because, yeah, that does seem sketch. Sexual compatibility between McCready and the sole survivor. 
I think that they could definitely have a lot of fun. Obviously, if you've if you've been married and you've had a kid, you've obviously done it at least once or twice before. So I think you know what you're doing. A certain level of experience is can go a long way. So I definitely don't see any compatibility issues between the two of them. And from what I can tell, McCready likes to have a little bit of fun. I never knew you could do that with mute for that. was amazing. I never knew you could do that with mute fruit? Mute fruit? Mute fruit, like mutant fruit. Yeah, my tongue just stumbled over it. That's all. <laughs> hmm. It's a small purple fruit that grows on little trees, just so you know. For those of you who don't know what mute fruit looks like. I don't know what you could do with it. I guess McCready didn't either. He said, I, d- I never knew you could do that. So obviously it's something that the survivor is bringing to the table. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But it's just confusing to me because he grew up in the wastes and the survivor like thawed out. And I'm like, it must be very creative to uh, come up with something that a guy who grew up there didn't know about. Mm-hmm. Ooh, they have different varieties. They have irradiated, regular, crunchy, irradiated, crunchy, wild, fresh, and wild fission. Wild vision? Fission. Oh. Yeah. Okay. They look like blackberries, kind of, or strawberries. Hmm. Let the imaginations commence. Yes. I mean, fun with fruit is okay. As long as it is not inserted, because you should not put anything sugary in places that they don't belong. Because that causes infection. Yeah. yeah, and if you need to be shocked into not doing that, just watch Sex Sent Me to the ER, okay? Oh, A yeah. lot of it's food. We are getting wildly off track tonight, and we still have something to talk about. So, how do you rate this romance, V? Well, okay, so I was thinking about it actually when the audio was playing and when you were talking about your rating, and I'm just like... For me, because obviously my rating is always my opinion. And I obviously go for not McCready's. I was just, I'm like, what is it about me that wants the guy that I can't actually have sex with? Garrus, allergic reaction. I know you can do it, but like, dangerous. Don't ingest. Solus leaves me. Hancock, radiation. I don't want to get, I don't know, uterine cancer from a one night stand. Like, who knows? I'm just like, what is, why do I inherently choose people who are unavailable to me when McCready is here, who already is a dad? I mean, we know what happens if you've played Fallout 4 to the sole survivor's son. But, you know, at the time when you're romancing McCready, you don't know that. So you're like, he would be a good dad for my baby. You can have like a happy, normal life. He can clearly survive and take care of you, I guess. I mean, you just forget how Lucy died. But... I don't know. I think it's cute. It's just weird. Like, I don't know if it's the voice acting or just there's just not enough content with McCready. I don't know how genuine it feels. It kind of feels like a rebound for both of them at this point. It could be something different in the future, but I I don't really know how it would go long term. Even the, the dialogue, the romance dialogue, it's not that romantic. It's kind of, they're both talking about, I mean, like, it's very realistic. I like how they're both talking about their spouses, prior spouses. They're widowers, both of them. But then it kind of ends before it gets very romantic. So they're just, it seems very early, you know? Yeah. 
No, I get it. But he's nice. Better than Preston. I like Preston. He's just too good. I don't want that. Yeah, no, Preston's way too vanilla for me. I would definitely choose McCready over him. I would yeah, also... Sorry, McCready. I'd Hancock. choose McCready over um, Dance. Oh, no. Oh, Dance is the absolute bottom for me. The, the very last. He's the worst one. I do not want to date someone who, upon waking from a night of supposed passion, he's just ad victorium. The, the, the ad, I, ad victorium. I, we are going to move away from that, and we are, we are going to get on to our next subject, because I'm really, really excited about it. Um, mm-hmm. It has absolutely nothing to do with me. <laughs> Long time fan of the show. Somebody who has supported us through her artwork has provided background pictures, given us stuff to use on Twitter, a fan of the Mass Effect lore cast, a statistician, and one of my favorite people. Absolute favorite people. Cloudy Marie Atlas, get your butt in here. She's also apparently my internet twin. Welcome, Cloudy, to the show. And there's something I didn't know about you coming on, but we'll save that. Don't jump the gun, me. First of all, would you mind introducing yourself to our audience and let them know your preferred name on the interwebs and your pronouns? Yeah. Cloudy Atlas. I go by she, her pronouns. You can find me in the Robots Radio Discord or in the Two Girls, One Ships and in the Mass Effect server. I love video games, if you can't tell, and clearly Fallout. (laughs) These are my hobbies. Yeah, because wasn't your romance for the one patron chat you came on was the the accidental one with the, uh, what was the robot's name again in Fallout? Gilda. (laughs) I cheated on Hancock with Gilda, a rolling trash can with clamp hands. I thought I would get more evidence from her. You got something from her. I know it was an accident, hence the accidental romance patron chat. I'm sure Hancock would have forgiven you. He probably would have been like, uh, duh, you have to tell me what it's like to have sex with a rolling trash can. Or been mad, why didn't you take me with? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I would like to know what that is. Like, because it fades, they all fade to black. And yeah, it's a choice. No game ever should ever go to fade to black. Give me at least something. Unless, Unless you wanted to. I like that Andromeda did that. I do like that as a side option, like a, a setting or a dialogue choice, right? Because that's how it worked in Andromeda. You could just be like, no, I'd rather just cuddle tonight. And I definitely appreciate that. Because while I'm the one to never turn it down like that in a game, I, there are people who are like that. And that needs to be represented as well. Yeah, there's people who are playing in their parents' house and they're like, oh, God, they're going to walk in at every moment. So you want to skip it or wait till the middle of the night or something. That's what that would have been what I did. I think we should ask Claudia a little bit about her origin story and how she came to love Fallout. So I started playing Fallout with Fallout 3 in 2016. And I really like latched onto that game because I went through, uh, I lost my hearing at the time. So it was like the one thing I really enjoyed. And I would just sit there and run through the wastelands in Fallout 3 but I never got into Fallout 4 for some reason. And my dad is obsessed with Fallout 4. He has 5,000 hours clocked into it. He, I think he makes mods. So he convinced me to get a PC. And the first thing he did was upload 
uh, it was a collection. He claims he didn't look at all of them, but he uploaded like 370 mods into my Fallout playthrough. One of those mods was uh, Lexi Hancock 2K, which you called out me. <laughs> so I played it for the first time, and I did not know he was not supposed to look like that. So that's how I got introduced into Fallout. Which do you prefer, sexy Hancock mod or regular Hancock? It's tough because it's like I have the bias of I played it with a mod first. So when I see clips, it's just like, oh, right, that's what he looks like. But I've had people ask, like, would you still have romanced him if he looked like that? My answer is probably. Like, clearly a lack of hair or lips not stopping me from romancing Garrus, let alone Hancock. (laughs) Honestly. Yeah, another example of why we are internet twins. It's like, that's why it's the female gaze for me, because it's like, it does not matter what he looks like. All I am seeing and hearing is like his actions and his voice. The voice acting really, really carries it, which is why I feel a lot less about McCready. Nothing against the voice actor. He just sounds a little bit more monotonous. I don't think it's him being a bad actor. I think it's just, that's how they wrote McCready. I think I'm biased season three oh, so i have known him for like the last like decade so to me yeah. he seems a lot more well-rounded and like when you were talking about some of his motivations i was like well if you played three like they kind of talked about that a little bit oh i did play three a lot but it's been a long time i don't remember him from little lamplight but i remember little lamplight so i'm sure if i played it again i would be like oh yeah there he is i know he's like different as a child clearly he cursed such all the punk. time he was yeah he's a little punk kid and he swears like every other word. And the way I got into town is I had the child of the heart perk. So you tell him, your face looks like my butt. And he responds with, then you have a pretty good looking butt. Or something like that. That's great. And that's the first conversation you have with him. I guess that's why I got sad. Because it's like he feels, I mean, he's different for a good reason. Because he's grown up and he's seen a lot more. But also it's like he just, I don't know why. It's so weird, that whole choice for him to be like, I promised my son I would be a better person. And then he just start, stops cursing. But like noticeably, like he'll catch himself doing it and awkwardly change how he's saying. And it's like, I don't understand why that's making you a better person. That's It's just such a weird choice that they did. I don't know. I think what that is, is he's he grew up in a town with no parents. So I think it's it's like one of those things of stepping up to finally be in a role that he never... Had like he never had a parent, so I think he's trying to be a better parent, and he's not great at it sometimes. But he tries his best and catches himself swearing and stops himself. Um, and I think like when you're talking about him leaving the wasteland, and take this with a huge heaping spoonful of salt. I do not have a child. Um, I could see him justifying leaving his kid alone because he was fine as a kid. I'm not condoning it. I'm reading into that maybe logic train. No, I could definitely see that. The part I have an issue with is not going back when you get the cure. That's all. I think they did that to keep the romance intact so he didn't get, like, dumped. I really do. That's why he doesn't feel genuine, I guess, because he's, like, talked about his son's whole time. And then the second you get the cure, he just gives it to Daisy and is like, all right, I love you now. I'm like, wait, what about your kid? Don't you want to go see him? Because he could go back. I don't know. I don't know how they would have done that, but... It just feels weird. Like he doesn't care that much or maybe Duncan doesn't exist. I don't know. I'm not, I don't even care if he made that up. That doesn't, that doesn't bother me. It's just weird. It doesn't feel, I, I think it's just, they didn't finish his plot line or something. I don't know. 
Um, I was going to ask, so we obviously talked a lot about Hancock and McCready. Did you happen to learn anything new or was there anything that we missed? Um, let's see. I definitely, my favorite, one of my favorite, like, romance dialogues from Hancock is a very rare one. You have to get dumped by him. Oh, it's so good. So you have to do horrible things to get dumped. And I've never actually gotten his affinity more than like 100% because it seems that we have a very similar moral alignment. So it's never really been an issue. But it's an interesting dialogue because he breaks up with you and he's so distraught over having to do this. He's like, you're not the person I thought you were. I wanted to spend the rest of my life with you. And then if you get back together by earning his affinity, he straight up just tells you he loves you. Okay, I like that. It's so weird how, like, if you don't get dumped, they don't have him say that to you. Yeah, he calls you, like, the missing piece in his life. Like, it's a pretty romantic speech. And they, it's a rare one. Like, it's a really rare chance you're going to see that. Like, you know the companion dialogue. If you swap one companion for another, they'll say some words. The funniest yeah. one, in my opinion, is McCready and Hancock. Because they practically, like, high-five on their way out. Like, Hancock thinks really highly of McCready. Like, he trusts him to keep you alive. And then, like, I, I can't remember the full dialogue, but, like, it's clear that they at least chat. Because he's like, oh, Hancock lets me stay in Good Neighbor doing whatever McCready does. I don't know, standing in the VIP lounge. Mm-hmm. I also think it's funny he flirts with Kate and Piper all the time, apparently. Which... It's You know what's funny is I haven't played Fallout 4 in quite a while, and I do not recall having McCready. So, like, this whole episode is me just, like, learning about McCready for the first time, aside from him and Little Lamplight. That was the only thing I knew about him. I also love, um, like, if, you hand, if you're with Mc, or Hancock in the Brotherhood of Steel and dances around, I can't remember what Dan says. It's something rude and offensive. But Hancock just goes, relax, crew cut, you're not my type. <laughs> it just makes me laugh every single time. I need all of those banters. Like, all the McCready, Hancock especially. I love him. Tell us why you love Hancock. Because you chose Hancock over McCready, or do you choose both? I choose Hancock every time. He was, okay, so my first playthrough, um, I tried to romance Piper. And I had a computer at the time. I don't know why this occurred to me, but... Or didn't occur to me. Um, when I was romancing Piper, she disappeared. I don't know what happened to her. She was gone. I was fully on ro- planning on romancing her, and she disappeared. I didn't think to look up a mod of, like, find my companion or anything. So I was like, okay. And I brought Nick, the good neighbor, and he started talking to Hancock. And I was like, oh, I think I read about this guy. He's, like, the only romanceable ghoul or something outside of, like, New Vegas. So I was just like, sure, I'll recruit that guy. And I just ended up getting really attached to him because I'm just like a sucker for a good like one-liner and he's just full of them. It's it's a problem. And like you said earlier, the voice. The voice. I mean, the second you meet him, he's defending you. And then he like says he's a sexy king of the zombies. And I'm like, I love I love the confident but also self-deprecating humor. Yes, my exact brand. Love it. And then on top of everything, oh, I forgot to mention actually that article that Jen read an excerpt from. The reason it was called like the character that broke her heart was because she dismissed Hancock once and he disappeared. She never saw him again before she got to finish romancing him. Yeah, and that's something that really annoyed me is because Hancock is an optional companion. Just like I think McCready's also optional. Any of the optional ones can die. 
Yeah, because McCree can die. And apparently his last words are always, no, please, no, which is horrible. Aww. And yeah, especially there's like a possibility of them dying when traveling back to a settlement. So if you're in like sanctuary and you dismiss him to go back to Good Neighbor, he can just die trying to get back to Good Neighbor. And you will never find his body because it's the wasteland. So do you feel that we did these romances justice? And do you agree or disagree with our ratings for Hancock and McCready? No, I think you pretty much nailed it. Like when you asked me which one do I prefer, I prefer the Hancock romance. And like you said, like you enjoyed it much more thoroughly. And McCready's leaves a lot of questions. It's It felt like he was really half-baked in concepts. Like they were like, oh, what if we brought in somebody from Fallout 3? Let's just pull this random character and give him a tragic backstory with questionable motivations. But I will say for McCready, I really enjoy the line where it, he talks about Lucy and then it's like, would it bother you if I said I still love my partner? Because I think, and I haven't done all the romances, but they're the only person that brings up the fact that you are a widow or a widower. Nobody uh, acknowledges it. And I no, really appreciate does, it. But otherwise, that's it, I think. Okay. Oh, that's because right, Preston does. is like lawful good. And so he's just like, I don't want to step on anyone's toes. Whereas McCready's also a widower. So I, I thought that was like a mature moment in their talk where they're both like, are you okay to love someone else? Can you love someone while still loving your dead spouse? Which yes, you can. Which is, it's a very but. interesting, honest conversation. It's great to begin with, but like McCready, you get his affinity by stealing, lying to people and coercing them to paying you more. And it's just a very honest and frank conversation, which... I was very surprised by. Well, yeah, that's why I'm not sure how genuine he is. Because, like, he he's not a bad person because he doesn't, like, hurt innocent people or anything. But he does take advantage of people. Just inherent mercenary work does that. Your morals are who's paying you at the time, typically. So that's also why I prefer Hancock is because, you know, he's not bad in that way. He's the opposite. He doesn't want people to take advantage of people. He actually, I think, dislikes you asking for more money when people are asking to hire you. I guess they just announced Fallout 5 is coming after Elder Scrolls 6. And my husband was like, release date, October 23rd, 2077. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. I believe yeah. it. I also like the fact that um, you can raise Hancock's affinity by running around naked. That's like one of my favorite oh, things to do. Did that so. accidentally? I didn't mean to. I was like walking I through doors and I was like, why is his affinity going up so high? Because I have a tally like on my computer that tells me the percent. And I was like, it's just going up like 3% every time I go in a building. And then I turned into third person mode and was like, oh no. I wondered what was it's on so the funny. like nice clothing emperor comments. <laughs> oh yeah. And. As somebody who has done multiple full playthroughs, what makes you want to come back each time? It's probably, like I said, the one-liners. It's just like every place you go, they usually have, have like a quip, and his are by far the funniest. I enjoy Piper's, but like his are just way funnier. Like McCready's are always just kind of like grumpy and curbudgeonly, but I'm a sucker for a good sense of humor. So I, feel like yeah, I always are. promise to leave them and I can't do it. <laughs> I listen to Armchair Expert all the time, and Dak Shepard's like one of the hosts on there. And he always talks about how he couldn't be like the hottest, most popular kid when he was in high school. So he became the funny guy. And that was how all the girls flocked to him. And I'm like, that's a stereotype, but it sure is true. <laughs> At least for me, it is. Bad boy. 
bad boys are my thing. Yeah. Bad funny boys, though. Well, I joked around about Bethesda and the glitchy glitchies that they are known for. They are affectionately called Bugthesda occasionally, if you don't know. And um, some of them are hilarious, though. Like, that actually adds to the wonderfulness that is Fallout. So that's one of my favorite things, just wandering the wasteland and you're like, oh, that happened. That I don't think that's supposed to happen, but it's hilarious. Like, I did uh, notice it's not a bug per se. It's like an engine fault. But the way clothing pulls or anything ripples, it's how you turn your head as a character. So if you turn your head fast enough and look at McCready and Hancock, you can just see their cloaks flapping. And it, it makes me laugh every time. <laughs> that's awesome. They both have their look and apparently dusters are it apparently my type is mayor <laughs> May- i know that's what was funny too they're both mayors who knew i'd like a politician it's hard to look at mayor mcdonough and be like do you look like pre-ghoul hancock in any way because i prefer ghoul hancock if that's the case i i shortened that in my head and almost said it out loud i was like you prefer ghoulcock i, <laughs> I mean does a bear shit in the woods, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> that is only to say if it's still there. There was one dialogue he said where his uh, romance dialogue was actually pretty long. I didn't put the whole thing, but it, at one point in it, he says, you're kind of like a piece of me that was missing. He's like, but that happens a lot when you're a ghoul. <laughs> it was, I love how it's like a serious love conversation with just some humor in there. Oh, it was so good. It's, uh, you're the piece I've always been missing. Like that toe I lost. And you're like, oh. <sighs> but I mean, if we already decided a couple weeks ago that Lego boyfriends are a thing, I think that no matter what, a relationship with Hancock could make it work. I think you could do it for sure. Plug and play. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, before we end this freak show, is there anything that you would like to plug, Cloudy? Uh, I guess I have a Twitter, uh, 22. I post art, typically Mass Effect, but sometimes Fallout 4 and Dragon Age. And you can find me in the Windows One Ship server, the Robots Radio. Cloudy is the everywhere. And most recently on the Mass Effect Lorecast, doing the results from the surveys. Maybe we need to do that for us. Like an actual, like, just straight up, go for it, Cloudy, romance survey. Oh my god, okay. Do we have to keep this PG or can we just like No, it's our audience. Fuck everything. Every, every episode of ours is explicit for a reason. Yeah. And not just because we say fuck all the time. It's yeah. Yeah, on Patreon we're among the adult performers. Mm-hmm. They put us in that category. Yep. Because we make it's explicit you your sexual foot one week, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> it has nothing to do with that. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, No. We are considered adult content creators because we make content for adults only. Yeah. And non-sheltered preteens, because my cousin's daughter apparently listens to our show and she is 11. And I'm like, my little brother listens to the show. And I was like, ew, what are you doing listening to this? And he's like, I'm not 12 anymore. I was like, okay, fine. Valid. But if you like what you're hearing... Please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes or give us a rating on Spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me in our Two Girls One Ship chat on the Robots Radio Discord channel. 
And come give us a follow on all the social medias and on Patreon <laughs> at Two Girls One Ship. Links to those are in the description. I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well, and on our own Two Girls One Ship Discord server where we nerd out on all our favorite CGI significant others. Be sure to check out our live streams on Twitch on Wednesdays and Fridays at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time, or watch the YouTube video a few days after the stream. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays because you need at least one good thing on a Monday. So thanks for listening, and remember... Beauty is in the eye of the controller. Ever wanted to be a content creator but had no clue where to begin? Come join me as I sit down with content creators that have already faced the challenges you're up against as they discuss the tips and tricks that help them be successful here on the Content Creator's Guide, available wherever podcasts can be found.